Good evening, everybody. It's good to be with you again as we continue looking at the book of Revelation. Let's just have a short word of prayer. Father, we just thank you that we can come into your presence by means of what Jesus has done and accomplished on the cross for us. And we just thank you that we have the opportunity just to study your word and I just pray your blessing on our time together tonight. We just thank you for this in the wonderful and precious name of Jesus. Amen. Revelation chapter 15. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is complete. Chapter 15 introduces us to the seven bowls of God's wrath. These are the judgments that come at the end of the seven-year tribulation period. And the bowl judgments actually come in very quick, rapid succession. And each judgment is stronger in intensity and fury uh, than the previous one. And the bowls are the last plagues that come from the blast of the seventh trumpet and will conclude the seventh seal. And we see here that it's recorded here, for in them the wrath of God is complete. Verse 2, And I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire, and those who have victory over the beast, over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, having harps of God, they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. For all nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments have been manifested. We see here in verse 2 a sea of glass. God's heavenly throne sits on a uh, transparent crystal pavement. Pavement. It's not the only place in Scripture where we have reference to God's throne being described like this. And we see here uh, that uh, in this verse, those who have victory over the beast, over his image, and over his mark, uh, standing on the sea of glass, and they sing the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. All the saints from every nation, including Israel, ultimately triumph over Satan's Antichrist and his system, not because of anything that they've done, but because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And then they sing the song that's uh, recorded here in uh, verses 3 and 4. And this song here was sung by the people of Israel immediately after they had passed through the Red Sea and God had delivered them from the Egyptian armies and the Egyptian armies were drowned when God closed up the waters of the Red Sea. And this was a song of victory and deliverance that the redeemed who have overcome the Antichrist and his system will identify with. And these two songs, the song of Moses and the song of um, the Lamb, these two songs celebrate two great redemptive events. 
the deliverance of Israel by God from Egypt through Moses, and also the deliverance of sinners by God from sin through what Jesus has done for us. In verse 3, where it says, They're great and marvelous are your works. This statement from the Song of the Lamb extols God's powerful works in creation and how he providentially upholds the universe through the power of his word. Verse 4, Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, and for all nations shall come and worship before you. For your judgments have been manifested. God is holy and perfect in character, and because he's holy, his holiness inevitably, inevitably mm, I'm getting tongue twisted here, my apologies, inevitably demands that he judge. And after God's righteous judgments are complete, he will then set up Christ's millennial kingdom on the earth from the elect, from every nation that will then come and worship him. Verse 5, after these things I looked and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of testimony in heaven was opened and out of the temple came the seven angels having the seven plagues clothed in pure bright linen and having their chests girded with golden bands. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. The temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. The temple of the tabernacle of testimony, this refers to the location of the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies where God dwells. You remember when Moses made the tabernacle when they were in the wilderness, he was given instructions of how to uh, make the tabernacle, and he was told that he had to do it exactly in the way in which God communicated to, to him because it actually reflected the tabernacle that was in heaven. Verse 6, where we read there about um, the seven plagues, the final most severe judgments that uh, come from God that are described in chapter 16, which we're going to go into shortly. Um, we see these angels standing here and um, the fabric of their garments represents their holiness and uh, purity and the belts and girdles running from the shoulders to the waist of each of the seven angels uh, that have these garments, these bands demonstrate, demonstrate the riches, the royalty, and the untarnished glory uh, of God. Verse 7, the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And these bowls are like shallow saucers, which are familiar items which uh, 
could be identified with various functions uh, that were part of the uh, temple worship that existed in the Old Testament. And uh, these flat bowls, uh, they are very shallow. And that actually pictures how these divine judgments will be emptied instantly and very quickly, rather than being slowly poured out as God brings about these judgments uh, on the earth. So here we go into chapter 16. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go forth, go and pour out the bowls of wrath of God on the earth. Verse 2, So the first went and poured out his bowl upon the earth, and a foul and loathsome sore came upon the men who had the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. So the first bowl, as the angel pours out this bowl on those who had the mark of the beast and those who worshipped him, um, a foul, loathsome sore came upon them. Now, the Greek word that is used here to describe these sores or boils are, it's the same word that was used in Scripture to describe the boils that plagued the Egyptians when the plague of boils came upon them. We read about that in Exodus chapter 9. It's the same boils that afflicted Job. And in the New Testament, the same word is used to describe the open sores that covered the beggar Lazarus. So all over the world, the people that worship the Antichrist and his image and have his mark will be afflicted with this incurable, open, oozing sores. Verse 3. Then the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea and it became blood as of dead man and every living creature in the sea died. Now this is uh, a reminder also of the very first plague that came against the uh, Egyptians where the river Nile was turned to blood but this plague is going to be far more severe and far more widespread than what plagued the Egyptians. And the water of the world's oceans are going to become thick and dark, uh, like coagulated blood. And the death and decay of millions of sea creatures is only going to add to the misery of this judgment because Verse 3 tells us here that every living creature in the sea died. Verse 4, we have the third bowl. Then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the water saying, You are righteous, O Lord, the one who is and who was and who is to be, because you have judged these things. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, 
and you have given them blood to drink, for this is their just due. And I heard another from the altar saying, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. So the third bowl, fresh water that's already in short supply because of the uh, prolonged drought um, that is plaguing the world, will now suffer exactly the same fate as the oceans. And in addition to suffering from thirst, the worshippers of the Antichrist will now have no clean water with which to wash their sores. And in verse 5, where the angel says, You are righteous, O Lord, the one who is and who was and who is to be. This phrase expresses the eternality that God is eternal. And it says here that the eternal God will judge justly because they have killed believers and preachers and prophets, preachers of the gospel. And this slaughter will have no parallel in history. And in verse 6 where it says, Given them blood to drink, the blood-like substance which the fresh waters uh, have now become, uh, the angel actually exonerates God here from any charge that his judgments are too harsh. He says, because this is their just due. The unspeakable wicked generation that's going to be alive at this time will shed more blood than any generation uh, that has lived previously, uh, including the blood of the saints and the prophets. And what the angel is saying here is that God's judgment is fair and proper. And John says, and I heard another from the altar saying, even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. So an angel actually here echoes the words of the first angel, reinforcing the truth that God is just in all his judgments that he brings about um, on the earth. Verse 8, then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun and power was given to him to scorch men with fire and men were scorched with great heat and they blasphemed the name of God who has power over these plagues and they did not repent and give him glory so the sun that normally provides light and warmth and energy is actually going to become a deadly killer. With no fresh water to drink, the earth's inhabitants are now going to have to face extreme heat. And the scorching heat is probably going to melt the polar ice caps and it might even have an impact on increasing the level of the world's oceans, maybe even inundating many of the world's cities resulting in a lot of disruption to 
ocean transport that is still uh, there. Because remember, in some of the plagues that we saw before, that so much of the Earth's commerce is going to be disrupted by the previous judgments that we have read about earlier in the book of Revelation. And incredibly, I mean, this is just amazing that after all of this, sinners still refuse to repent. And instead what they do is they blaspheme God, the one that they know that has caused uh, these afflictions. And they don't give him glory, is what verse 9 says. Verse 10, we have the fifth bowl, judgment. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became full of darkness. And they ignored their tongues because of pain. And they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and did not repent of their deeds. Incredibly, they continue to blaspheme God and still do not repent. Here where the angel pours out this particular judgment on the throne of the beast, it refers to the uh, probably the area where the Antichrist has set up his capital or his throne and it extends over his uh, dominion. And here we see a plague of darkness that actually uh, comes upon the world. And when we see and we look at these plagues, all of these plagues are very, very similar to the plagues that uh, came uh, upon the Egyptians. And still, after this, with the darkness that comes upon the world, they still blasphemed God because of the pains of their stores, sores and did not repent of their deeds. Verse 12, the sixth bowl. Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water dried up so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, out of the mouth of the false prophet, for they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. So the sixth bowl, as the angel pours out this bowl, uh, he pours it out on the river Euphrates. And the river Euphrates actually has its source on the slopes of Mount Ararat, and it flows all the way from Mount Ararat to the Persian Gulf. And it's interesting, in Scripture, the Euphrates River forms the eastern boundary of the land that God promised to Abraham, Isaac, and his descendants. And Israel has never, ever occupied um, the full area of land that was promised to them by God. Because the river Euphrates flows through today what is present-day um, Iraq. And God is supernaturally going to dry up this river to make way for the eastern kings that are going to come from the east uh, towards Israel. Um, 
where they are going to do battle against Israel and what the scripture also refers to the great day of God Almighty. Verse 13, we see here that there are unclean spirits, uh, demons, and these uh, demons uh, come out of the mouth of the dragon, they come out of the mouth of the beast, um, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, and John describes these unclean spirits like frogs. Now, frogs um, were unclean animals according to the Old Testament dietary laws. And also in uh, Persian mythology, they viewed frogs as plague-inducing creatures. And these demons are described here as uh, frogs, because frogs are actually slimy, they're cold-blooded, um, they are actually loathsome, and they come out of the mouth of the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. So here again we see the unholy trinity, the dragon, which is Satan, um, uh, the Antichrist, uh, the beast, and the false prophet they spew out this plague performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and these signs are supernatural wonders that are actually designed to deceive these uh, leaders and kings of these nations and they are deceived into bringing their armies to actually come and invade uh, Israel and the impact of these unclean spirits is going to be so great that they are going to be able to induce these kings to make the journey to Israel in spite of the intense heat, the plagues, the drought, uh, the darkness that is upon the face of the earth. And they are going to be gathered there to do battle uh, in the land of Israel. And verse 15 says there, Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And they are gathered, them together, to the place called in the Hebrew Armageddon. So the Lord stresses here the need uh, for readiness, for his return. Uh, the imagery that's uh, pictured here, um, where the Lord says, Behold, I'm coming as a thief, and blessed is he who watches and keeps his uh, garments. The imagery that is used here is the imagery that pictures a soldier that is ready for battle, or a homeowner that is uh, watching or keeping an eye out for somebody that might want to come and steal stuff from his house. And Armageddon, the Hebrew name for Armageddon, um, this Hebrew name is derived from an area that is found uh, in um, an area that is close to Nazareth. It's a plain. 
and on that plain you find the ruins of um, a town or a city um, called Megiddo. It's about 60 miles north of Jerusalem. And on this huge plain, this is where the bulk of the battle that is uh, going to rage. And it's the same plains. It's the site of Barak's victory over the Canaanites, Gideon's victory over the Midianites. Uh, Napoleon, uh, interestingly enough, called this valley one of the greatest bat battlefields that he'd ever seen. And it's quite interesting that during the Second World War, uh, Winston Churchill actually uh, sent spies out to actually go and uh, spy this area out because he actually thought that what was going on in the world at that time, they might actually end up fighting that battle in that area. And the battle of Armageddon is not going to be limited to the plains of Megiddo. It's actually going to encompass the length and breadth of Israel. It's going to be one of the biggest battles that the world has ever seen. And ultimately, God is the one who's allowing and is drawing these nations here because he's the one that is ultimately going to go out and do battle against them. Verse 17, then we see the seventh bowl here. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, It is done. And there were noises and thunderings and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake such a mighty and great earthquake as has not occurred since men were on the earth. Now the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, and great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. Then every island fled away, and the mountains were not found, and great hail from heaven fell upon men, each hailstone about the weight of a talent. And men, and this is amazing, that they still blasphemed God because of the plague of hail, since the plague was exceedingly great. The seventh bowl will complete God's wrath. And this immediately precedes the second coming of the Lord. And this will usher in the worst calamity that the world has ever, ever seen. And uh, it, this particular judgment finishes or completes uh, God's wrath, and it ends with a devastating earthquake, probably one of the most powerful earthquakes in history. Because what we read here is that when this earthquake happens, it says there it's such a big earthquake that has not occurred since men were on the earth. And the city was divided into three parts. Uh, and Babylon was remembered before God. And then it says there that every island fled away and mountains were not found. This earthquake is going to be so powerful that it is going to radically alter the whole of the earth's topography preparing for the millennial kingdom of the earth. But interestingly enough, uh, although this earthquake is going to um, affect Jerusalem, it's going to be split into three parts. Again, we can read about that in Zechariah 14. 
And this is not as a judgment, but it's going to be an improvement for that city. And these changes that take place there are going to prepare the city for the millennial, millennial kingdom. So Jerusalem is actually spared uh, a judgment where the rest of the world is uh, judged at this time. And then we see here that um, John describes great hail that fell from heaven upon men. And each hailstone was about the weight of a talent. Now, uh, a talent weighs about 75 pounds. So these are huge hailstones. And it also indicates that there are going to be um, incredible atmospheric convulsions that are going to occur that it's going to cause these massive chunks of ice and it's going to cause almost unimaginable devastation on the earth. And even here, after all this, men blasphemed God because of the plague, because the plague was exceedingly great. And it's amazing how God brings these plagues People know that these plagues are coming from God, yet they still don't repent. And they blaspheme God because he's brought all these plagues uh, upon the earth. And what we've been reading about here, these judgments are devastating. Uh, they are um, horrible. But we've read that God brings these judgments uh, upon the earth. And because of his holiness, his holiness demands justice. And that's why he brings these plagues on the earth. But one of the greatest judgments that God has uh, ever brought about uh, during the uh, history of the earth was when Jesus died on the cross and God through Jesus. Jesus was judged for our sin. He took our sin. His substitutionary sacrifice paid the price for our sin. And the judgment of God fell upon him for us when he was on the cross. That if we put our faith and our trust in him, we have forgiveness of sins and if we repent turn around change our way of thinking and our lifestyles and wholeheartedly follow God we have forgiveness of sins and we have eternal life and we are then not going to experience what the followers of the Antichrist experience here on the earth. Because Jesus said in John chapter 14, talking to his disciples, John chapter 14 verse 1. It's a very, very encouraging uh, passage of scripture for us um, as believers, where Jesus says there, um, let not your heart be troubled, you believe in God, believe also in me. 
In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know the way. The only way that we can be reconciled to God, the only way to God is through Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way. Jesus is not a way. He is the way. He said, I am the truth. Jesus is not just some form of truth. He is the truth. And he said, I am the life. He's not just some form of life. He is the life and he is the only way to God. And if you've never made a decision to serve God, if you have never asked God to forgive you for your sin, if you're not sure that you have eternal life, I would encourage you to call on God this evening and ask him for forgiveness because of what Jesus has done and accomplished for us. You can receive forgiveness for your sin through the substitutionary sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross for the whole of humanity. But it is a choice that each one of us have to make. God has given us that free will to either choose to serve him or to reject him. And what we've read about here repeatedly during that time of the tribulation, men are aware that these judgments are coming from God, and yet they don't repent, and they continue to blaspheme God. And it's so sad in light of what God has done through sending Jesus, his only son, as a man to die on the cross for us, that he died and he rose again from the dead on the third day and is today seated at the right hand of God and he is coming back, first of all, to fetch us where we will be raptured to be with him and then he's going to return a second time to establish and set up his millennial kingdom on the earth father we just thank you again that there is no god like you what distinguishes you from the gods that the muslims those that claim to serve buddha uh, those that serve other false gods what totally distinguishes you from all of these other gods is the way in which you have reached out to humanity and made a way, provided salvation for us through Jesus Christ. And also in the way in which you know the future, there is no God that has revealed what you reveal in your word, that you know the end from the beginning and that you have shown us in your word exactly how things are going to pan out in the end. And we just thank you that we serve such an amazing God. We worship you, we praise you, we give thanks to you for this time that we've had to just study your word. We just thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.